Good morning again. If uh, I invite you to turn to a book in the Bible, but there's so many places we're going to go today uh, that in your talk notes, all I did was give you, I think, like seven ver- seven places. Uh, and so if you'd like to, as I'm meandering and just jabber walking in, in this conversation, you can just put your fingers in all of those books of the Bible. We're going to get there eventually. Uh, but in uh, Luke chapter 14, uh, by the way, I'm sorry, uh, last week we didn't meet, and if you were part of Merge Serve Sunday, we wanted to say thank you uh, very, very much for your willingness to get out there and serve. But but two weeks ago, we've, uh, we were in a conversation, or we've been in this conversation for a while now, uh, about some words that we find Jesus say in Luke chapter 14, and they're really, uh, for, for a lot of us, they're the hardest words that we've heard Jesus say. Uh, he, so the scene is, he's walking out of a dinner that he was having at a Pharisee's house, and, uh, and it's really a pretty, uh, I think it's an awesome scene. Uh, he almost, like the biblical equivalent of a mic drop, uh, walks out, and it says, great crowds start to follow him, and and he looks at the crowd and he starts to speak to them about what it looks like to follow after him. And and what seems extreme to us uh, are things that he, he comes in and he looks at us and he looks at them and he says, listen, if, if you can't love me with your ultimate affection, you can't follow me. He'll say, if, if you can't, identify with my suffering, you can't follow me. He says, if you are unwilling to renounce all to, to follow me, then you can't be my disciple. And, and really, we think that these words are extreme, but, but what they are is this very honest explanation of the worth of Christ. Uh, that Jesus knows who He is, in such a way that he says, I don't have to water down who I am. I don't have to try to convince you to be part of my team. These are, this is the way it looks like to, to follow me. And, and so where we think that that's extreme, he's actually just being honest about his great worth. That the Bible says that the gift of Jesus, the free gift of God is Jesus. That we would get him uh, but it also explains that when we have Jesus as Savior, we must also follow Him as as Lord. And 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 at times this just can seem to be so extreme or demanding. And I think it's usually felt that way because what we really want are adventures and lesser stories. Uh, that 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 usually those lesser stories involve our own comforts in the pursuit of our own desire to make much of ourselves, which is why in the middle of these verses where Jesus gives these demands, uh, He tells us to slow down, slow your heart, and to consider uh, the cost of following Him. And remember, He, he did so in, in two different word pictures, right? He says, he says, no one decides to build a tower without first figuring out, do I have enough money to actually complete the project? Because if I can't complete the project... All my friends are going to laugh at me uh, for not being able to have enough money to finish the project. And then he says, he says no king goes to war without first finding out if his 10,000 men 
can beat the other side. He says you don't go to war if you only have 10,000 and they have 20,000. You send delegates for uh, terms of peace. And so he comes in there and he says, he says, I want you to make sure that when you make a commitment to me, you're willing to keep it. Which is fair, right? I mean, that's, that's what we want in life. When people make a commitment, we long for them to keep it. And if they don't keep it, then typically that causes friction in the relationship. And Jesus, at the very beginning, says, listen, if you're going to follow me, you need to understand what it will take. And, and what we've been saying for a few weeks now is that there's this truth that overrides any of our hesitancies when we uh, count the cost. That, that, and ultimately the truth is this, that Jesus is our great treasure or He's not. Either we look at Him and we say, You are my great treasure, or you're not. He is unwilling to play the part of any lesser character. And, and this is, there's, there's nothing more satisfying than who He is and what He brings into our lives. That, that when we see Him clearly, we can understand how there's no amount of possession worth having that pales in comparison to Him. That, that when we get to seeing Jesus paid it all, there should be something in our hearts that erupt into worship. Because we understand His great worth. We understand our very minimal, cost, our very minimal um, amount of things we bring to the table. So, so any exchange that we make with Him is always to our benefit. That we count the cost in our lives because He lays down on our behalf at the cross and that far surpasses any life we can offer Him in return. And so, so we count the cost in our hunger for God because when we see Jesus clearly for who He is and what He has accomplished, we aren't reluctant to move in His direction. We long to. It says that, that, that we joyfully sell all that we have in order to gain the price. That, that we count the cost in our love for others because we've been brought into this great appeal of God's. That, that God is working through the church to tell the world, reconcile yourself. Understand who Jesus is. Understand what Jesus brings to the table. And so, so we take Jesus' word seriously that, that if our lives are found in Him, then we are to make disciples by living and speaking in a manner that is, that is worthy of the gospel. And there's no doubt that these last couple weeks hopefully have been hard. Right? Hopefully we've had to wrestle with a lot of them because, because what we're dealing with is that there are places in the Bible that aren't always light and fluffy. That there are things that Jesus says that are very demanding. And so now we get to this spot, and if we haven't been talking hard enough, uh, I, I want to kind of take us completely into the deep end of the pool uh, this morning, and we're going to talk about counting the cost when the Bible says you will suffer at times for the sake of the gospel. There will be moments of great suffering in your life. And, and what, what I hope we can do is, is I hope what we, we can do together is that we would attempt 
to take our arguments and our complaints and our wounds and our scars and that we would be able to take them to the cross, lay them at the feet of Jesus, and then after we're done, avoid picking them back up. When, when we start to wrestle with the fact that, yes, there are difficult days when it comes to walking with Jesus, but all of those difficult days come with great purpose, and all of those difficult days come with a great reward at some point. So let's, let's pray, and then we'll go. And so if you need to sneak out because this might be too hard for you today, do it when my eyes are closed. Um, and Father, we, we come to you. And we thank you for your words this morning in, in, in the Bible. We thank you that you inspired people today to, to write songs that we can sing to you. And that that would be more than just song time. That that would be cries of our hearts. Celebrations of our hearts that, that we are known by You because of Your Son. Father, may we boast in nothing more today than the cross. May we boast in, in nothing more than Your Son has paid it all. And so Father, as we open up just a collection of Your passages today, I pray You would guard our hearts from ourselves. I pray You would guard my lips from my own theologies. And I pray we would be able to walk out of here making much of You. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Alright, so, so the first place we're going to be is, is Galatians chapter 2. Uh, but, but tucked away in the book of Galatians, the Apostle Paul uses this, this very distinct phrase uh, to explain the effect that Jesus has made in his life and really how this affects uh, his identity going forward for the rest of the days of his life, that, that it's found about in the last half of chapter 2. And, and what's been going on is Paul has been explaining to the Galatians, but by extension, he's explaining to us how we are justified by God, how we are made right uh, with God, that his argument is built around how we are not made right with, by, with God by the works of the law, but rather through faith in Jesus. That, that the law reveals to us, in us, our sinfulness, right? Uh, and you can just track all the way through the New Testament. This is the argument that the law reveals sinfulness. And it is by the mercy of God that He gives us His law so that we would understand what it looks like uh, and what He expects from us in holiness. And so, but, but the law reveals us in us our sinfulness and there is no amount of following the law that will leave appease the cost of sin. At best, all the law does is make minimum payments. And so there's no amount. So Paul says that our justification is found through our faith in Jesus because He has fulfilled the payment that sin exacts uh, and is justified by the Father because He, you know, did that whole thing called lives a sinless life. And... And so the revelation that Paul shares with us is, is the understanding that he has died to the law so he might live to God. And that, that is since he is no longer, he no longer is under the impossible burden of trying to earn acceptance, the acceptance of God through how he lives his life. He now gets to live it through 
faith in Jesus. And, and so and this, is, this is a great news, and Paul has found this amazing new freedom to live a life devoted to God. And then, then in uh, verse 20, he uses a phrase that I find very interesting. And I think we could spend a month chewing on this phrase and we would still just barely scratch the surface. And he comes in and he says this. We have it out in verse 20, Galatians 2. He says, I, okay, Paul, have been crucified with Christ. That it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who, who loved me and gave himself for me. So he comes and he says, I have been crucified with Christ. That Paul's former self, the person that Paul was before he trusted Christ with all of his sinful goals and his proud and, and his self-exalting desires, it, it, it has come to a decisive end. He died. And he says it's no longer I who live. And that doesn't mean that, that Paul has no personality of his own because if you, if you read some of his letters, you understand very well that this guy has a personality. Uh, that at times he can be very sarcastic, which makes me like him. Uh, at other times he can be very serious, which makes me think we couldn't hang out. Um, but, but what we know is that his own personal interests, his own goals no longer direct his life. He says rather that Christ who lives in me, that Christ directs and empowers all that he does. This is, both, this is having Jesus as both Savior and Lord. And so, so the question is, how does a man who's crucified gain strength to go on living? And simply, he says, the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. That Paul seems to, to be saying that as he trusts Christ moment by moment, then Christ then works in and through him to be effective in all that, that he does. And then he says, you know, he, he does all this for the one who loved him and gave himself uh, for him. And the fact that, that on the cross, Jesus bore our sins as our perfect and individual substitute shows that the crucifixion wasn't impersonal at all. It was very intimate. And it was a very beautiful and tragic scene. But, but what has drawn my attention this morning, and really this, this, these last couple of weeks, is, is Paul's choice of a word in verse 20. He comes in and he says, I have been, and what's the word? What's the word does he use? Crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. And it's, this is an incredible, and for many of us, an unimaginable word to describe our relationship with Jesus. Because the crucifixion was a torturous means of punishment that brought about excruciating suffering and Paul comes in and he says my life shares in the suffering of Christ because in the suffering of Christ I have found my freedom I have found my freedom so the question I've been asking is is asking myself and I would invite you to ask do I live in such a way where I embrace suffering for Jesus in the same ways that Jesus was willing to suffer on my behalf Am I, am I willing to return that favor? 
that Jesus suffers for me, am I willing to suffer for him? And this isn't anything that, that is new, that Paul wasn't coming up with a new theology. In fact, the Gospel of Mark, uh, chapter 8, paints this picture pretty well. Uh, it says this uh, in verse 34, Mark eight thirty-four, And calling the crowd to him, all right? so, so this is Jesus calling the crowd uh, to him with his disciples, he said to them, okay, now listen to this, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does this is a great this is a great thought. Not that Jesus needed my endorsement to say this is a great thought, but for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? What can a man give in return for? So according to Jesus, far from having no cost, right, which is what too often we sell in the church today, that it doesn't cost you anything to follow Jesus, just say this simple prayer. So, so what we find, according to Jesus, far from having no cost, following Him should cost you, will cost you everything. That, that far from promising the better life that we tend to want to sell Jesus offers, He warns us of this very intense suffering. We can go Matthew chapter 24, verse number 9, puts it this way. Jesus tells us, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and, and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my namesake and then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another and many false prophets will arise and and lead many astray and because lawlessness will be increased the love of many will grow cold but the one who endures to the end will be saved and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. He's just telling you, hey, listen, when the end comes, this is what it's going to look like. And I think there are great warnings that we find here. Because he says there will be a time where because of lawlessness... It'll increase, and when that increases, the love of many will grow cold. We'll become meaner people. And if that doesn't paint our current society, I don't know what does. And I think it's important to note how Jesus says, He warns of of false teachers who will lead many astray. And this this is why we come back and we say this so consistently around here. It is imperative that we spend time with God in the Word. That we would know what, what He says about certain things because we're, we're often confused when we experience suffering as if uh, God has taken His eyes off of us for a moment uh, and, and we convince ourselves that, that any season of discomfort uh, is an attack because what God really wants in our lives is for us to be very comfortable uh, and very easy living that, that the demands of God's holiness doesn't uh, impeach upon our desire for 
kicking our feet up and vacationing in the Hamptons all summer, right? And so, so if this is how we've been led to think, then we need to run from any teacher who promises wealth and prosperity in the ways that the world defines wealth and prosperity because that's not a biblical approach. It isn't. Jesus very clearly comes in and He says, you will suffer for My name's sake. Now, I think one of the challenges is if we've never experienced suffering like that, we need to ask ourselves, am I really following Jesus? Or am I following some version of Jesus that looks like Jesus enough but isn't really following Him so that the world doesn't treat me in the way that Jesus says they would? And I think if, if, if this is, that the call to following Christ is, is this call to joyfully endure suffering in this life uh, for the promise of eternal blessing in the next. Luke chapter 6, uh, verse 22. Jesus says, Blessed are you when people hate you, which sounds really weird, right? and exclude you, and revile you, and spur your name as evil. But then he says this, on account of the Son of Man. Now, if they hate you because you're a jerk, it's because you're a jerk. Okay? But he says they hate you because of your allegiance to Christ. Understand, you're in good company. You're in good company. It says, rejoice in that day, leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for their fathers did this to the prophets. That, that suffering is rarely talked about in the American church, and I think it's ironic because suffering in the, in the Old Testament is, is just laced in it. That, that, in fact, one of the clearest doctrines in the New Testament is the doctrine of, of suffering. That over and over and over it says that followers of Christ are going to suffer for Him. They're going to be hated. We're going to be rejected. And the fact that this is such a major theme throughout the New Testament, and yet it's just lost in our churches, is a huge problem. Huge problem. That, that truth is, we have a warped view on what suffering is. That we, we think of minor inconveniences uh, as great bouts of suffering. And really, that's just because we're soft. It is. Um, that, that The fact that your internet went out isn't that the devil's attacking you. Uh, like, if it's at my house, it's because it sprinkled outside. That's what it is. The fact that your back hurts isn't suffering for the name of Jesus. It's because you did something to your back and you're getting old and your body's falling apart what it is that, that we think of suffering today as if it's a splinter in the thumb when what Paul tells us is that suffering for Jesus is the hanging on a cross it's what it is and so often we gather around prayer circles and we're like oh, I got a splinter here can someone please pray for me and Paul says we're soft that's not what suffering for the sake of Jesus is. This is painful. And it's costly. And it keeps you up at night. And I think, I think we, there's a proper response to when we do actually suffer for Jesus. And, and we don't have to go very far. In the book of Acts, there's this beautiful scene 
beautiful scene that unfolds in chapter 5. And, and what happens is, is Peter and John are proclaiming the gospel and people are getting saved. And eventually the Jewish church takes issue with it and they call them in and they apprehend them and they put them in prison because they're trying to figure out, well, what charges can we bring against them? And they realize there's really nothing they can do. There's nothing. They have no legal grounds. And, and so they look at Peter and John and they say, hey, can you please stop talking about Jesus? It's making our lives really difficult. And Peter and John look at them, and it's a beautiful scene. They say, hey, here's the thing. If we didn't speak about Jesus, we would be dishonoring God. And so we can't but speak about what Jesus has done in our lives. And, and so there's nothing, again, much, nothing much that they can do. And they want to kill them, but they make a different decision. And, and in verse chapter 5, verse 40, it says this, And when they had called in the apostles, it says they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Now, listen to that. They beat them and said, Don't speak in the name of Jesus again. Let them go. But look at, look at their response to getting beaten. And now, tell me if this is... If you've ever been knocked down by life, under, tell me if this has been your response. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. They leave rejoicing because they counted, they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. You want to know what the church was doing while... Peter and John were inside uh, the prison cell when they were getting beaten. You know what they were doing? They were praying to God. And you know what they weren't praying? God, please let them have a safe trip. God, please let their travels be okay. Their prayer was simply this. Father, give us boldness to speak out your name. They weren't trying to escape the danger. They were saying, hey, when the fire comes in, let us stand firm. Let us be willing to endure the beating, walk away rejoicing, because somehow we've been wrapped up in this incredible story. So it, it, it became, what was that? It, 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 it became this issue for the church because they, the Jewish church, they didn't know what to do. They were like, I don't know what to do with these people. How do we stop these guys? Because if we kill them, they're happier. If we torture them, they walk away rejoicing. We can't stop them. Are we just, just going to kill them all? Because they're just not listening to us anymore. They're rejoicing in this. They are getting stronger through persecution. And imagine a church... being willing to live like that? How does the city not be changed for the glory of God? If the people of God are saying, hey, whatever the opposition is, I'm in. However it works out. And I think until we embrace suffering that, that so many Christians embrace around the world, we can spend our whole morning talking about those. We're going to be a fraction of the church that we can be that the enemy is fighting so hard to keep us from reaching that place because once we get there, 
he has no foothold. He has none. And now, now as we talk about that, what's crucial uh, to, to have the willingness to suffer, that, that we have to be careful in how we live out our theology of suffering, because understand that the point of Scripture is not to pursue suffering for suffering's sake. That, that literally is crazy. Saying, I'm going I'm to go out, I'm going to try to pick a fight just so I can get in a fight. That's insanity, because nobody likes to hit. Nobody likes to get hit. Okay, so we have to understand that, that why we suffer is because we pursue Jesus. Even when we're told that suffering follows, that as believers we, we spend our days pursuing Christ, pursuing Christ's likeness, the, the mission of Christ, none of which can be done apart from suffering, that, that we, should, we should live lives like horses with blinders on. And know I have one destination today, and it's to make much of Christ. It's to make much of Him. That, that as we are fixated on, as we are obsessed with our pursuit of Jesus, we know persecution will come because Jesus has told us. And I think part of the reason we, we've created a culture of non-committal Christians who avoid suffering is that we don't treasure Christ near enough. We don't. That, that we want Jesus, but there are limits to what we are willing to sacrifice for him. We want him, but there's a lot of other things we want. We've been saying this. There's a lot of other things we want in life. And the problem is that, that the good news of what Jesus has done in our lives gets placed on par with a lot of other good things. We say, oh, I, I'm getting married. And we celebrate that. And it's worth celebrating. But it's not worth celebrating as ultimate in your life. We're having a child. That's worth celebrating, but not ultimate because eventually those kids turn into teenagers right all right some of you know what i'm talking about you're not there yet yeah yeah talk to me then and so we take those great moments in your life and we want to equate our celebration for those things with the fact that 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 god became flesh that God loved you so much that He would send His Son. God became flesh. He was crucified for our sins. He rose from the grave. He's returning to judge the world. And, and the trouble is that, that, that other kinds of good news stir more emotion than the gospel, and that's a problem in us. That's a heart problem. And so we need to take time. We need to dwell. We need to meditate on the impossibilities of the cross. That the Almighty, the all-knowing, all-powerful God who spoke the universe into being sent His Son to die a criminal's death so that we can live with Him forever. We need to live in that. That needs to be the gas to our motor to where we are moved each and every day. And I don't care how many times you've heard the story of the cross, if it doesn't cause you to fall on your knees and worship, then guys, I'm telling you, there's something wrong. I'm pleading with you. There is something wrong because we should never in any moment of our life take for granted the cross. Never any moment. And it's this kind of eternal mindset that allows us 
to keep things in perspective when things get difficult, when we, when we truly understand what Jesus did for us, the sacrifice He made on our behalf, the, the incomparable beauty of eternal life that's promised to those of us who endure, that, that, that we can't help but fall in love with Him. Because He's our greatest prize. So let's go back to Philippians chapter 3. We were here a couple weeks ago. I mean, I told you we could spend months in this passage. Verse number 8, he says, Indeed, I count everything, this is Paul, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things. Of all things. And I count that loss as rubbish. You ever lose something and then you look later in life and you're like, gosh, I wish I hadn't lost that thing. Like it was a cherished thing. And Paul says, I count that. And I look at it and I say, it's rubbish. It's rubbish compared to the fact in order that I may gain Christ and I may be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Then he says this in verse 10, that I may know Him, that I may know the power of His resurrection, that I may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And now look at this passage and and, and ask yourself whether this describes you And if you are prone to be delusional, ask yourself this question. Would the people that I am around think this is how I feel about Jesus? Because the Apostle Paul was so obsessed with knowing Jesus that he even wanted the fellowship of sharing in Christ's sufferings. And imagine if if Jesus was being stretched out and whipped and beaten and you were on the other side of Him and you were looking at Jesus face to face and just taking it with him. You'd be in excruciating pain. But you could look in his eyes and know that you're with him. That you are with the creator of everything and you're going through this together. And Paul wants to know Jesus as deeply as possible, even if it's required that he endures immense suffering. And that's a that's a level of love that we can reach where we actually grow to want that and it's not insane. That, that To want that type of intimacy where you feel as if you were nailed right next to Him, that you could lose everything. You could lose it all. You could lose your reputation, your comforts, your possessions, and you can count it all as a bunch of trash because it's, it's all worthless compared to knowing Christ, that suffering is so important because through it we come to know Jesus more. To know more of the power of the resurrection, know more of the fellowship of His sufferings. So, so let's get to our, to our final set of verses. 1 Peter chapter 4. And I think when we listen to Jesus talk about life in His wake and, and a desire for His glory to be on display, His warnings that suffering is part of the journey of our expectations uh, in, in the midst of suffering change. 
Peter says this, Beloved, okay, so he's like, hey, I'm on your team, right? I'm on your team. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. I love that phrase. Because he's like, listen, if you are suffering, don't be like, well, this is strange. He says, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Peter told us not to be surprised as though something strange were happening. Trials are part of the plan. In fact, it says that, that some, some trials that you face is the testing of God. Not that he's trying to see what you're made of, because he knows what you're made of. He's trying to help you understand where your limits are. He's trying to help you see that. And we said this a couple weeks ago. It is so helpful to know where you are so that eventually you can get where you want to be. And so, so he says, come in. He says, rejoice. That, that Scripture warns us to expect these kind of moments. And, and there should be no part of us, and that there should be, I'm sorry, there should be a part of us that actually wants it in a way because we can rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. So, so think about Christ returning in all of His glory. Imagine how joyful you would be if you could recall suffering that you endured for His sake. And Peter says that those of us who have suffered rejection for His sake, that we are blessed because the Spirit of the glory of God, and God, I'm sorry, the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. That's a powerful statement. That he's saying your willingness to suffer is proof that the Spirit of God rests upon you. Our suffering proves whether or not we really are Christians. And, and there are a lot of ways, there are a lot of reasons why we experience suffering in this world. And again, I, I want to be very clear. Every passage that we've talked about, when it says that there will be suffering, it always comes with a caveat of what kind of suffering we're talking about. We're talking about suffering for the sake of Jesus. We're not talking about suffering because life is difficult, because people are mean, we're not suffering because you're a sinful person, because though you, you can be. We're talking about suffering for the sake of Christ. So there's, there's a lot of ways we experience in this, this lesson. I think what I've struggled with this week is that it feels to me very incomplete. Because usually what we want is application, right? We want me to bring, you know, I don't know if you want me to bring up this issue. But, but what we want is, hey, you've brought an issue up in my life, now tell me how to fix that, right? And typically, the less number of steps, the better, right? And if I can blame other people, even, even better. So what we want are, are three steps to work through suffering, or we want five ways to minimize suffering. And, and I've not told you, I've not come in here and I'm not saying, hey, Suck it up. It could be worse. I'm not doing that. And so this feels out of balance. Except for the fact that the reason 
that we do that is any attempt for me to try to teach those things will attempt to minimize the role of suffering for righteousness' sake. If I come in and I say, hey, here's six simple steps to avoid suffering, and then what we're trying to do is discredit the fact that Jesus says, hey, it's coming. It's inevitable. When you follow after me, you're going to experience these moments. And, and so... So I think what we do here this morning is this serves as a recognition that when you are suffering for Jesus, you're on the right path. And the point of all of our suffering, always, 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 is to draw our gaze to Christ. It's to see that and to understand that any amount of suffering pales in comparison to His. And then secondly should move us and motivate us deeper and deeper. That, that when you are experiencing holy suffering, the reason is not because God is weak and it's not because God is unaware. The reason is that God is growing you in the strain and is pursuing His glory through your life. That, that He is just as close to you in your season of suffering as He is in those seasons where you feel Him walking with you as if it was in the cool of night. That all suffering, all suffering finds its purpose in a God who is exalted through a life willing to endure and a faith that believes there are greater things to come. That this present suffering pales in comparison to the future hope and glory, as Paul would say. And so here's, here's what I would encourage you to do as just means of application that you would go to the Word this week. Okay, One of the reasons why I've listed uh, the, the verses for you is in case you leave and you're like, hey, what verse was that? Well, it's right here. Okay, That you would spend some time this week working through the context of these passages and these passages. And then at the very end, I gave you 2, 4, 6, 8, uh, 10, 11. I gave you 11 more places that you can go and spend some time because ultimately when we come down to the end, this is, this is what it comes down to, as we start to talk about counting the cost of suffering, we have to ask ourselves this question, am I willing to pay it all? Because that's what He paid for us. I love you guys. I do. Our desire this week is to love God. Bye. As we wrap up, let me make just a couple things available to you. I'm going to pray us out here. Uh, if you need prayer this morning, we want to pray with you. There will be some people right beside this door. If you've never asked Jesus into your heart, we believe today is the best day to give your life to Him. But understand, what He calls for is extreme, at least in the world standards. And if you want to stop and take some time and say thank you to Jesus through communion, those elements are available. Let us pray. Father, we thank You that You love us. We thank You that You are incredibly honest with us. And we thank You that You call us to consider the cost. And I pray for people in this room today who, if, if they are suffering for Your name's sake, we pray a prayer of boldness for them. We pray a prayer of strength for them. We pray that we would be a body of people surrounding them as they 
live out the light of the gospel. Father, we pray for the people in here today who are suffering because of their own sinful actions. And we pray you would bring them to repentance, that you would encourage them and lavish them with your love so that confession comes more freely. And Father, we also pray for those who are suffering, whether it be with relational hurts or physical hurts, that you would come into, the, into those moments and they would experience you. And we thank you for whoever's working with those kids right now. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.